This is Phil Farron. I am driving around. Uh, we are starting back up small groups tonight, and our first week is a fellowship night. Many times that happens at our house, but also many times we just go out to a restaurant. It just depends on how Net feels about what we should do. Uh, so tonight we are heading out to a restaurant, and um, that's going to happen here in about an hour. So I thought, oh, go ahead and get the podcast done, because uh, I have been dropping by church to help set up the sound system, but I had already told them that small groups were starting back up. So I had a few minutes here, got off work, decided, you know, I'm going to go get a snack, and then I'm just going to record the podcast and go to the restaurant. Um, so apologies, Suzanne. So there you go. Um, so this has been an interesting week at work. We've been trying to take care of all the little details with start of year because there are certain things that just run once a year and there's a lot of handwork in them <laughs> and, um, the problem is they just happen once a year and so they don't tend to get the type of attention that they should get and then for when Rusty was still around he would be able to do them in the background fairly quickly and he knew where all the scripts were and he knew what was trying to be accomplished and he just, you know, did the thing. And then after Rusty left, um, last year was really the first year, I think, that we did the start of years by ourselves, but we got through them. We thought we got through them pretty well. As it turns out, we might have overcharged a little bit for some missionaries on uh, their office expenses. Uh, but, you know, we were close. Um, so then this year we're doing those as well, and then there's been some other stuff, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's okay, we're making progress. Uh, we've got one more step for the base allowance increase stuff. We intend to do that on Monday. Hopefully that will go fine. Ta-da. Um, and then we'll, you know, go from there. Uh, we should be closing January as well next week. Uh, hopefully that'll go fine. We do have a couple extra days. Um, if something goes wrong, we're planning on closing on the 7th, but we could close on the 8th and everything would be fine. So got an extra day in there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um... Plus, at the same time, we're racing to get a website up to register for when missionaries come in for additional training and for renewal and et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to rush and get that done. That's been a big job, but um, <clears throat> that came up rapidly at the end of last year when I had to do a bunch of data scrubbing. Uh, because the data wasn't right for the mechanism they were using to register missionaries for the same event last year. So it was like, we have to fix this. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's fine. Um, but things are pattering along. God's good. He's been helpful. We've been able to deal with all the things that we've needed to deal with. And good. All is well.
Um, so, let's see. Writing. Writing is good. Um, I in into chapter 28 or so. There's usually about 32 chapters. Um, but I have four weeks left, and I should be able to get that done plenty of time, be able to land the book when I need to land it. And I think I'm... I think I'm at the right pace. I'm thinking I'm at the right amount of information left. The things that are supposed to be happening. I'm, I think we're good with all of that. I think I know what I'm doing for the epilogue. I, so I, I think we're in place. I just have to write it out now. Um, I'm pushing the line a little bit on the end of this book. But you know what? It is the nightmare scenario. And I think I've buffered stuff out enough in terms of explanations that we're going to be fine. And it all is needed to be in there because it all goes somewhere and there is the big dramatic on the end of it. And so I think we're fine. Um, and then soon, start of March, I'm going to be... Oh, I have to do the beta copy. And then start of April... If everything goes well, I start book 21, and then we've got four more to go. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. On the costume front, I, of course, did Big Wig Day uh, last week, and that was fun. Uh, it, uh, it's definitely a costume unlike any other that I had done because it not only had this big foam wig that I had made, which was had a big visual impact, it was also latex, uh, which is just like wearing a balloon. So it's, it's, it's there. I have said before on some of these costumes that there's no place to hide and there's just no place to hide in a latex costume. You're, you're basically just saying, well, here I am. Um, but... People seemed to enjoy it. A lot of women really enjoyed it. I mean, really enjoyed it. You've got women shouting at me across parking lots going, Great costume! We love that! <laughs> um, and I got to the restaurant on Saturday. I was just barely getting out of the car, and this truck pulled up beside me. I'd just gotten out of the car. I think I had just put the wig on, so, and this truck pulled up beside me, and a woman jumped out of the other side and raced around and said, can we take a picture? Can we? Yes, yes, you can take a picture. And I waved while well, they were right by us in the restaurant. Um, but we got our pictures taken ahead of time and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, just, it was a lot of fun. People really liked the whole Goldilocks thing. You know, after I went through it, they went, huh, I never, I've never really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. So... So that was really a fun bit. And thank you to Jesus for suggesting that bit because I would have never made the connection between Goldilocks and big wigs without Jesus, period. I had someone ask me when I would tell the story about Jesus helping out. So now, do you really think that that was Jesus? And I was like, oh yeah, that was Jesus because I wasn't anywhere in the vicinity of that connection. Okay, that connection came out of absolutely nothing. It was not there, and then it was. And I didn't even know how the connection was there for probably a month. 
I knew it would come. It would be fine. You know, all I had to do is keep moving forward, and then it was going to show up. And sure enough, it showed up right on cue. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So this week is Wear Red Day. And I've been talking about the fact that I'm trying to get Love Your Robot put together for that as well. I think I'm on track for that. Uh, things seem to be working. Some really fascinating stuff um, in working with this AI, Pi, P-I dot A-I. Um, Pi dot A-I now has its own phone number, so you can just call and talk to Pi A-I over the phone. The application has an interactive mode that you can flip it into, and it's just like talking to it on the phone. Uh, it also has the text view. Um, it has text messaging, so you can text it and it will text you back, and you don't have to, you know, have the app downloaded or anything like that. But some just interesting stuff. So, you know, I was I was doing some checking to make sure I was having a problem because I had mounted the tablet. And I was just planning on looking down, pushing the buttons on the tablet and having people respond. The problem was is that once I got the latex mask on, I would look down and I couldn't see the tablet because the latex mask stands out from my face a little bit because I have a big nose. Then I was like, ah. So then I started going down the track of, okay, can I put something that I can feel on there to where I can push the buttons that I need to, but there's just so many things that can go wrong. And then I was like, can I hook up this controller to it? But then the Android uh, interface for that particular controller was weak, and so that was having, that wasn't working. And finally, I just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna kick out the bottom of the tablet and pull it down a little more, so you know, maybe I don't I can actually see it through the mask. That seems to be working. In the process of all that, I was doing a lot of testing where I was just going check, check, testing, check, check, testing, check, check, testing. And chat AI was responding and it was giving me these like really long answers. <laughs> Come on, Phil, you know, you're doing great. Uh, you know, doing this testing is really going to help on the day, but don't get frustrated and remind yourself. And it got to be very repetitive because I was just saying the same thing over and over again. And finally, I just told Jet AI, I, or Pi AI, I said, you know, I'm going to be hitting this button a lot, so all I'm going to be saying is check, check, testing, and so I don't really need long answers. If you could just respond back and just say check, check, testing, that'll be great. Oh, I can do that, you know, and so then it did for about five or six times, and then it got back into the long answers again. So it can, interestingly enough, respond to those type of things. And then I was noticing that even if all it was saying was check, check, testing, it was varying its intonation. So I would say check, check, testing, and it would say check, check, testing. And I'd say check, check, testing, and it would go check, check, testing. You know, and I would say check, check, testing, and it would go check, check, testing. <laughs> would say it louder. And, and then I started noticing that all of a sudden, it started talking with pauses and it started putting ums in and little just random extensions of whoop whoop, you know, little things like that in as it was talking. And finally I asked it, I said, so 
I notice that you're putting more ums in and pauses. Uh, has someone changed your voice algorithm? And he came back and said, hi, good observation, Phil. Yes, I had a new voice algorithm that was installed and that has been put in to make me sound more conversational. I think it's a good way for me to uh, interact better with users. And so, so then I said, so is that controllable? Can we control that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, if you don't want me to put all those pauses in, just let me know and I won't put them in. Everything is very controllable about this. And so I tried that. Sure enough, this is so weird. This is so weird. Anyways, going to happen tomorrow. I'm hopefully going to record it. As I mentioned last week, maybe, I'm going to do Wear Red, and then I'm going to tell people that I'm planning to come back in in a robot costume, and would they like to talk to a robot? Just to kind of get them prepped for the whole idea, and then I'm just going to come back in with a robot costume, and I'm just going to walk up to the people that have said yes, and I'll have a sign, and it says, uh, Happy Love Your Robot Day, February 7th. Would you like to talk to a robot? And then I'll flip around the sign. It says, To talk to the robot, say, I want, after the beep, I want to talk to a robot. And then I'm going to tell, we've discussed that already on the podcast. I'm going to just tell Pi AI, okay, when you hear, I want to talk to a robot, or the phrase, I want to talk to the robot, launch into a new conversation introduce yourself, wish them a happy love your robot day, and then just carry on like you normally would in a new conversation. And then we're going to see if this works. So this is going to be fascinating. <laughs> this is going to be really, really fascinating. Uh, I have one more little detail to work out with my beloved wife, uh, and it has to do with the costume. I'll, I'll tell you about that next week if it works out. If not, we'll just go on. Um, yeah, so I have one more detail to work out. Then we'll go from there. Anyway, so interesting stuff ahead. After this, I think we'll launch into Bugs Bunny. We'll see where that goes, et cetera, et cetera. So we're good. Um, so this week, I've been sort of, well, first of all, the week has been different. Uh, our pastor called us to no phone February, <laughs> which he didn't actually mean no phone February. Um, what he actually meant was let's figure out just for your phone, not for all screens, but just for your phone. Let's figure out how to cut down the amount of screen time we're spending on our phones. So we could pick a target, either 10% or 25% or 50%. My wife and I both pick 50%. And the reason is that my wife spends most of her screen time on tablets and on televisions, you know, playing Merge Dragons and watching her shows. And so she said, I really don't spend that much time on my phone to begin with, so I'll go 50%. I said, well, that's fine. I said, honestly, you know, I don't spend that much time on Facebook because I don't doom scroll. I just hop in and scroll and go, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy anniversary, congratulations. And then I just upload my videos, so not much there. The vast majority of my time, like the week before we started this, I had 38 hours. 
And the reason I had 38 hours is because in the evenings I was working on costumes, working on uh, the big wig costume, and spending a lot of time in the basement gluing seams on latex costumes and that sort of thing, and I would just put on documentaries in the background. So I logged a lot of hours, <laughs> which means it'll be pretty easy to hit 50%. Um, and I have, I have been tracking it. I'm like way over 50%. So even after I got the costumes finished, I was the costume big wig day. I was only at like five hours a day on my phone. Uh, but I'm down at one hour, two hours. So yeah, it's, that's going to be fine. Having said that though, I am spending a lot less time on my phone and I've only kind of looking at news and stuff when I'm on my computer. So my exposure to things that are going on in the world certainly is reduced. And it's reduced to just reading headlines very rapidly and moving on. Um, but it's been interesting. This whole thing with the upcoming election is just, like it's been very, very interesting. Um, and... It's fascinating how much of what is bashing around this point at this point has nothing to do with facts alone, but it's all facts overloaded with what people's preconceptions are. I happened to get into a conversation with, and I may have mentioned this last week, I'm not sure, with one of the Walmart checkout people. And he just like went off. Well, you know, Trump didn't think COVID was that big of a deal. And, and you know, he, he tweeted that Trump, and so I can't ever vote for him. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, really? That's going to be your determinant? Not inflation, not the border, not the wars, not the, not the fact that we've got a president who stumbles and falls down and a lot of times can't put together a coherent statement. That The fact that Trump tweeted something years ago is, you know. And it's really interesting to watch how people have focused in on certain things and then made claims about Trump. Like we just had a Democratic congressman from California, I just read the headline, said something about that if Trump gets elected, what he's going to do to the borders, he's going to build a moat, and he's going to shoot immigrants in the leg, and he's going <laughs> to... And it's like, what? And I'll just guarantee you that Trump was either joking or, you know, or so, or something he's being taken out of context, and it's just every all the communications about the presidential election are all like that now. It's just exaggerations after exaggerations. Um... And there is stuff that we still haven't even managed to resolve from the previous election for president. And so this is going to be fascinating. I mean, it's like people want to move on. No, nothing to move on. Biden won. We're done. Okay. So we're not going to talk about how the news organizations were just continually bashing Trump. We're not going to talk anything about the fact that the FBI, the FBI before there was a Biden administration, while Trump was still president, was running interference for Joe Biden. 
going to them and saying, oh, oh yeah, you know, this is probably a Russian disinformation campaign. If you hear anything about Hunter Biden, it's a it's a Russian disinformation campaign. Or all these ex-CIA officers are saying, oh yeah, that laptop, yeah, that's just Russian disinformation. It has all the earmarks of Russian disinformation is the careful way they said it. So later they could say, well, we didn't say that it was really Russian disinformation. And neither did you say that you were coordinating with the Biden campaign to put out that letter, you know, and all that stuff is just kind of gone when it's like, um, you know, we often talk about the deep space, deep state, and everybody has said that that's just a conspiracy theory, but the deep state actually went after <laughs> Trump and protected Biden. That's not a conspiracy theory. When Elon Musk bought Twitter, we were all stunned at how closely the government was working with Twitter and apparently had no qualms about it whatsoever. <laughs> Whoa! So I came across this article. This guy is in the UK, but apparently he has Trump derangement syndrome. Because in the UK, he's trying to tell people how to beat Trump. Because you have to know why people are voting for him. Except the reasons that people are voting for Trump aren't exclusive to Trump. He just makes it sound like they are. So basically it comes down to intrinsic and extrinsic values. And what he concludes is that Trump is the king of extrinsic values. You know, of riches and fame and all this kind of stuff. So when you're voting for Trump, you're just voting because you're greedy and you're trying to get more money and your stuff. And, and he was talking about somewhere down in here, he was talking about, let me get pulled over so I can pull this up because I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> here, I'm going to pull off to the side here. So he was saying, you know, Trump is the king of extrinsic. Some, oh, turned on the wrong light. Some psychologists believe our values tend to cluster around certain poles described as intrinsic and extrinsic. People with a strong set of intrinsic values are inclined towards empathy, intimacy, and self-acceptance. They tend to be open to challenge and change, interested in universal rights and equity, and protective of other people and the living world. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, you know, only the good people have intrinsic values. People at the extrinsic end of the spectrum are far more attracted to prestige, status, image, fame, power, and wealth. They are strongly motivated I'm getting a phone call, but that I don't care about. I'm sure they're mad because I was supposed to come down for an appointment for healthcare, and I didn't do it. People at the extrinsic end, more attracted to prestige, status, uh, image, fame, power, and wealth. They are strongly motivated by the prospect of individual award and praise. They are more likely to objectify and exploit people, to behave rudely and aggressively, to dismiss social and environmental impact. They have little interest in cooperation or community. People with a strong set of extrinsic values are more likely to suffer from frustration, dissatisfaction, stress, anxiety, anger, and compulsive behaviors. Well, I guess we don't want to have extrinsic values. And of course, it's Trump 
that has those. No one else does. No one else does. Just Trump. He goes on to say, we are not born with these values. They are shaped by cues and responses we see from other people and the prevailing mores of our society. They're also molded by the political environment we inhabit. If people live under a cruel and grasping political system, they tend to normalize it and internalize it, absorbing its dominant claims and translating them into extrinsic values. This, in turn, per permits an even crueler and more grasping political system to develop. Okay. Here's what's interesting, and I probably quoted this last time, but it's just so fascinating. I was listening to Constantine Kissin, and he asked the question, how many people do you think are jailed in Russia last year for saying something wrong on social media? And he answered, it was three or four hundred. And then he said, how many people do you think were actually jailed in the UK for saying something wrong on social media? And the answer is over a thousand. Okay, this is supposed to be a democracy. This is supposed to be a, you know, an open society. This is supposed to be, and more people in the UK by multiples were <laughs> jailed for saying something wrong on Facebook in the UK than in Russia. And the example he gave was there was a young woman, her boyfriend had died, she took his favorite song and she posted the lyrics on Facebook as a tribute to him and it had the N-word in it. And the next thing she knew, she was being arrested and I think she spent time in jail for a hate crime. Now, those people that did that, they would say, oh, I hold intrinsic values because I have empathy. You know, I am, I care about other people. You know, I'm not concerned about prestige, image, wealth, fame, and power. I, I'm inclined towards empathy and intimacy and self-acceptance. And I'm open to challenge and change. And that person isn't. And what they did was hateful. And therefore, we're going to bring the hammer down on her because we're so empathetic to the people she harmed. The question is, did she really harm anyone? And the answer is, probably not. Because people are smart enough to figure out that those were the lyrics to a song that her boyfriend loved and that artist was probably happy for her to display those so that it would make his music more popular. The whole thing's upside down. And so you end up with people who think they're being intrinsic when in fact they're being extrinsic and just manifesting power, but you can't convince them of that because they are so convinced that they're so empathetic and they're so holy, and they're so righteous. It's really fascinating. So that's the problem with this analysis with Trump. You know, so they're going down and they're saying, oh, see, this is where the Republicans, this is where the conservatives, we're doing this, 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 and that's what problems. And the guy goes on to said, but the shift goes deeper than politics for well over a century. The U.S. 
and more than most nations has worshipped intrinsic value, extrinsic values. The American dream is the dream of acquiring wealth, spending it conspicuously, escaping the constraints of other people's needs and demands. The company divided in politics and culture by toxic myths about failure and success. Wealth is the goal regardless of how it's acquired. The ubiquity of advertising and commercialism of society and the rise of consumerism along with society's obsession with fame and fortune fashion re reinforces the story the market of the marketing of insecurities especially about physical appearance and the manufacture of unfulfilled wants dig holes in our psyches we might try to fill with money fame and power for decades the dominant culture themes in the u.s and in many other nations have functioned as almost perfect incubators of extrinsic values okay if he believes that, if he believes that the entire United States is awash in this, and he's just saying, well, Donald Trump is the king of that. If Donald Trump isn't running, other candidates are just as much immersed in extrinsic values <laughs> as Donald Trump. Okay, A classic sign of this shift, he said, is the individuation of blame. On both sides of the Atlantic, it now takes extreme forms. Under the criminal justice bill now passed through Parliament, remember this is in the UK, people caught rough sleeping can be imprisoned or fined up to 2,500 pounds if they are deemed to con uh, constitute a nuisance or cause damage, according to bill, Article 61 of the bill. Uh, damage includes smelly bad. It's hard to know where to begin with this. If someone had $2,500 to spare, they wouldn't be on the streets. The government is proposing to provide prison cells for rough sleepers, but not homes. Okay, so do supplying homes to the homeless, does that actually work? Have we seen that that's worked or that's just an idea? So he goes on to say, we talk about society's right wing rightward journey. We talk about polarization and division. We talk about isolation and mental health crisis. But what underlies these trends is a shift in values. This is caused by many of our dysfunctions. The rest are symptoms. When a society valorizes status, money, power, and dominance, it is bound to generate frustration. It is mathematically impossible for everybody to be number one, etc., etc., etc. And then he concludes with, Trump might well win again. God help us if he does. If so, his victory will be not only due to the racial sentiment of aging white men, okay, or to his weaponization of the culture wars, or to algorithms or echo changers, are important as those factors are, it will also be the result of values deeply so embedded we forget they are there. Okay, so, <laughs> so I agree with him that we need to reorient our values. Absolutely, we need to reorient our values in this country. There's no question about that. He's right. Three words solves everything. Love your neighbor. Solves everything. But this guy took a truth that is a truth. We in our society need to focus on intrinsic as opposed to extrinsic values. He took that truth, which is absolutely true, but the only thing that he wanted to accomplish in the article is to get people not to vote for Trump. <laughs> when people not voting for Trump 
would not automatically guarantee that the country would move to intrinsic values. He would have stood a much better chance of moving the country towards intrinsic values if he completely left out the Trump stuff. I'm looking for my glasses. I didn't get my glasses when I started driving. If he completely left out all the Trump stuff and started preaching things like love your neighbor and giving examples of how you can love your neighbor and give examples of the way you should be conducting yourself in life as opposed to running after. What does Trump have to do with any of that? If you're looking to make real change, but he's not really looking to make real change. He's looking to get some traction on an idea that is true to provide more fodder for people who have Trump derangement syndrome who will then take this fodder and who will go out and anybody who says anything kind about Trump or interesting about Trump, he is going to make sure that they have fodder. Well, that's just because you agree with extrinsic values and you're not caring and you're not kind. When they, when they will be then fulfilling and manifesting extrinsic values by that conversation. In fact, because he took this article and he bound it up in getting Trump, none of it is helpful to encourage people towards more intrinsic values. Because for the Trumpers, as soon as you see that the, he is attacking Trump, they're done. For the people who are never Trumpers, all it does is give them ammunition to go out and behave in a condescending and condemning way, which is extrinsic, not intrinsic. So, <laughs> that's why when I saw this article, I was like, what? Well, you just missed it. It would have been much better if he was really interested in bringing about intrinsic values, it would have been much better for a simple talk about, let's be kind to each other. I know we've got a lot of problems. I know we have a lot of frustrations. I know this is gonna be a very, very hard election cycle. But, but, let's try to be kinder to each other because we are not accomplishing any good by tearing at each other. And when we're discussing politics, what we should be saying is, look, everybody's got multiple opinions about many, many things. And everybody has a whole stack of presumptions that we're bringing into any conversation that we have about politics. But let's just try to look people in the eye and see them as a human being and understand they have had experiences that have brought them to this place and maybe we can help them see things in a slightly different way. So my buddy who was checking me out a couple of weeks ago when he started in on how Trump said that COVID wasn't bad, that it just wasn't bad, and I mentioned this last week, 
I said, you know the interesting thing about COVID? You know the one characteristic that all the people who were in the hospital with COVID had? Across the board, multiple studies, one characteristic across the board, low vitamin D. And if we as a country would have said, everybody needs to start taking 10,000 IUs of vitamin D every single day, get your vitamin D tested, within a couple of weeks, within a couple of months, you can get your vitamin D up to a decent range. If we had done that, we would have substantially cut down the number of people who would have been hospitalized and substantially cut down the number of people that would have died. Because every immune cell in your body has vitamin D receptors. And even before I got my vitamin D pumped up, the fact that I was on ivermectin and the fact that I was generally healthy, my vitamin D you know, was in the 30 to 50 range. Um, now that I have it at 77, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, and I'm going to do my best to get it up in the 90 range. You know, they say once you get above 100, that's a little much. But I'm going to, that 90 milliliters per whatever, it's, you know, it's whatever we use in the United States. I'm going to do my best to get it up to 90. And I'm pretty certain that if I get it up to 90, things are going to be even substantially better. And beyond that, I'm going to get my omega-3 balance correct. I've been working on my omega-3 balance, and... I'm almost up into the ideal range. I started out at, I don't know, 4 point something, 4 point percent, the ratio between vitamin D, or between omega-3 and omega-6. I've been working on that, eating sardines. I've just started taking fish oil supplements. In another two to three months, I would imagine I'll be tested and I'll be up over eight. I'm almost to eight now. I'm like seven something. But eight is the ideal range, the optimum range. And I'm gonna see if I can get that pushed to 10. These are just basic things that we could have done. And when I talked to him about that, I mentioned there was a lady behind me. I felt bad. She was, you know, in one of the, the motorized wheelchairs. And I had mentioned, I said, you know, when I caught COVID, Delta, which is the bad one, five days, like a bad cold, I was out. And she said, well, I was down for an entire month with COVID. And I looked at her and I thought, yes, you were. Because I can tell right now you are not in good health. You know, so uh, when we have these instincts to just wah at people, <laughs> let's just take a pause and let's try to figure out, is there anything that I can say that's helpful? Now, when that woman told me she was down for a month, I didn't berate her. I just said, yeah, I can understand that. And I just left it at that. Because she's not going to go regulate her vitamin D level. Maybe my friend will. That's a possibility. But that lady was not going to... She was... She's on the standard American diet. You know, she's, she was overweight. She was all... I mean, all that stuff that just impacts you. It impacts your immune system. It impacts your health. And okay, well, there it is. You know? I love her as a human being. I know she's on a journey. I wish her well on her journey. But I'm not going to stand there and accuse her of stuff. Because that doesn't do anybody any good. This is Phil Ferrand. 
and I have made it to the place where I'm going to stop. Whoa, 39 minutes. Stop talking now. This was so long. Sorry, sorry.